Ah, oh, that's great. The Bible says children are a blessing. And what a great blessing they are to us. As parents, grandparents, adopted parents, adopted grandparents, uh, we come together as a family, right? And that means that we get this opportunity to be grandparents to those who don't have them, maybe brothers or sisters to those who don't have them. We're called by God's grace into this community together. It's good to be back with you this morning. We were away for a couple of weeks, and uh, we missed it. We missed being with, your, with the family here at Knollwood, and we're glad that we're here. And thank you for all those who continue to pray for us. As we come together, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Nahum. And we're going to be in Nahum chapter 1. And we're going to be talking about hope. And I'm going to do that, and everyone's going to be really excited for this, because we're only doing one verse. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. And before we do that, as you're finding your spot, let me open up in prayer. Father God, we just praise you for today. We praise you for the sun that is shining, the, the birds that are tweeting, the, the beautiful weather that we've been blessed with, the chance we had to enjoy your creation. Lord, we thank you for our children who are here and the blessings that they are, Lord. And I pray that we as a church would take serious our job to uh, walk alongside of parents and to uh, encourage them to disciple them. Lord, I just pray for our teachers as they teach our kids. May you use them in a mighty way. Give them clarity of thought. Give them boldness for the gospel. Give them the wisdom that they need. Give them gentleness and patience, lots of patience. Lord, I just pray that we would continue to worship you. And as we open up your word together, Lord, I pray that I would preach that you are glorified, so that you are glorified. That I would praise you and praise your name. God, there's no gifting that can make this turn out well without you. So by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon for your glory, for your name, for the joy of your people, and salvation of the lost. And amen. This is the word of the Lord. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Alkosh. This is the word of the Lord. It's a, we're, starting a, we're continuing on our series in the Minor Prophets, and we're going to take some time in Nahum. It's three chapters, three quick chapters. In my Bible, it's like a, two pages in like a paragraph on the other side. And I want to encourage you to read it through. Just read it through once, twice, maybe every day. To familiarize yourself with it and, and what God has to say through his word together. But today we're going to be just focusing on that little introduction verse there. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum. I'd like to ask you this question before we get going, because it's a very important question to what the whole book really is talking about as we give an introduction to what Nahum is and is all about. It's this question, when was there a time that you felt hopeless? Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was this past week or there's a specific moment in your life. Think of that time when you felt hopeless, 
when things were out of your control, where, where you couldn't do anything, you just, uh, all you could do is groan and cry out. I think if we're honest with ourselves, and I hope you are, because you can't lie to God, it's a sin too. We've all had that time. There's no one who's ever come through life and thought, oh, hey, life is 100% good. You know, the people who really bug me are the ones who are always smiling. The other day, yeah, I know. Uh, the other day, there's, uh, Steph was watching one of those home garden, whatever it's called, renovation shows. And, and she leans over to me, she's like, this is a typical Southern Christian, you know, all smiley, everything is awesome, just like the song says, if you've ever watched the Lego movie. And they're just always, always, always happy. And it kind of bugs me because I'm like, life is not always happy. Like, as a Christian, we have joy. And joy and happiness are not the same. Amen. They're not. They're very different. So the question that I have thought of when I was reading through Nahum over the last few weeks as I studied for this one simple verse is, when was there a time you have felt hopeless? Because that's exactly the question that's being addressed in this whole book. Hopelessness. Hopelessness is easy. For me at least. I don't know about you. It's easy to wallow in it. To just kind of sit there and and think that everything is hopeless. And I get it. It's a struggle to keep yourself focused. It's a struggle to keep myself focused on hope. I need external reminders every day. Daily, which is why it's so important to make sure that you're in the Word of God yourself. Because without passages like this, without books like this, we are lost without an anchor. We need hope, and we need to be reminded of it. And that's where God's people are right now in this book, feeling hopeless. They are, the northern kingdom has been destroyed, has been annihilated. Israel is gone. It's never to come back. We know that. Israel has been put into exile for rebelling against Assyria. There's nothing left. All that there's left is the southern kingdom of God's people of Judah. They are exiles out of the promised land. They are prisoners in another land. They're full of laments. And God takes time to give them hope. It is so bad that there are psalms in here that if you read through the psalms, they're specific to this point. Talking about how there's one song that ends with, and they dash the babies on the rock. Can you feel the agony in that? There's agony, hopelessness. But God takes time in this to remind his people who are full of laments and tell them that there is hope. So God uses this man in Nahum to do it. And we come to this time and we are reminded of a word proclaimed during uncertain times. See, Assyria has just conquered the great city of Thebes during this period of time that Nahum is written. The mega city of Thebes, of Egypt, the, the unconquerable city has fallen. It seems like Assyria is literally unstoppable. They've taken over what was the greatest, the last hope for the Judean people. 
They've often gone back to Egypt to ask for help to, to deliver them from their enemies. The northern kingdom of Israel has been taken into captivity. God has used Assyria to discipline the unfaithful northern kingdom of Israel. But we can't forget what's happened in Jonah. Because Nahum is a sequel to what Jonah has talked about. And if we remember back to when we were in Jonah, God had sent this, the worst preacher ever, to go and proclaim the good news of salvation to Nineveh. And what did Nineveh do? They repented. And they turned around. And a hundred and so years later, we're now found with Nahum. And God beginning to judge. See, Nineveh had repented from its wickedness several years ago, but this repentance was short-lived as Assyria added abuse to God's purpose for his just discipline of Israel. Yes, God did send Assyria to discipline his people, but Assyria went way too far. The southern kingdom of Judah now is even being squeezed like a grape in a wine press. And the king of Judah at this time, Manasseh, has, has compromised so much to try and appease these Assyrian people that he has allowed the pagan worship into the temple of God. It's hopeless. This Manasseh, King Manasseh in 2 Kings is described as this, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I would really not want that on my gravestone. But here Manasseh is, according to the despicable practices of the nation whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel in 2 Kings 21. But here's the question. Who is this written to? Because it's not written to the people of God. It's written to Nineveh. And we see that right at the beginning. An oracle concerning Nineveh. Nineveh, the the capital city of the the great superpower of the 8th century, Assyria. This nation was used by God to discipline his unfaithful people. But the overhearers of this are God's people. God is writing through, using Nahum to proclaim this oracle to Nineveh, but he's really actually got his people in mind, the people who are hopeless. They're overhearing God's judgment being poured out on Nineveh. This is an oracle to a nation that has done the unthinkable, but the people of God are listening as God comforts them. See, things are hopeless You could stand before the mighty nation. Who could stand? Even Egypt itself has fallen apart. I think today our our equivalent would be like, I don't know, what's the great thing? If there was a Bond movie, what would it be? It'd probably be the U.S. and China or something, right? Back in the 80s, it was Russia, so things change. right? Just imagine a Bond movie where, where, where China has become triumphant. And, and the U.S. has, has failed. That's the type of feeling that is happening right here. Egypt has fallen. Thebes has fallen. The Assyrians seemed invincible. But Nineveh would be defeated just a few short years later, fulfilling Nahum's prophecy. He proclaimed a word that came to pass, and he called the people to authentic faith in God. 
See, God writes this oracle to Nineveh, but he's speaking to Judah. Nineveh may be the most powerful city on earth, but it still answers to the all-powerful and just God. You see the hope that's beginning to come through? See, Nahum's message brought hope to a people without hope. It announced a victory of the Lord over the wicked ones. What Nahum shows us is that we have a God who is Lord over history. He works his will in the world in so many ways, in his own way and according to his own time. And as someone said, you preach it because it's in the Bible. I understand that we preach this Nahum, this book of Nahum. When was the last time you heard a sermon in Nahum? I, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard one. Because it's in the Bible. But even more so, I preach this because it's reminding me of the hope of God. For our world, the message of Nahum is a huge, it's huge for us. You know, as we were away, we tried to, I tried to disconnect, you know, and I get back and all of a sudden I'm hearing like there's a new prime minister in England and the whole, I'm like, what in the world happened? Right, the world just seems to like continuously fall apart. It just seems so hopeless. You know, you shake your head all the time. Even in Canada, you know, you have the, uh, an individual uh, suing a, 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 a waxing com- uh, salon because they didn't do what they wanted. And you're kind of like, what is going on, Lord? Uh, how, there's no hope in this place. But God is at work. And the forces of evil will not conquer all. So we preach Nahum because it shows us that of, of, of what happened after the book of Jonah. We preach Nahum because it broadens our understanding of who God is. Nahum wants to correct our understanding about God in ways that challenge our cultures and our Christian subculture assumptions about who God is. God is not a cliche thing that you see on Facebook. He has specifically revealed himself in his word. And our judgment, our attitudes, our outlook of who God is needs to be corrected by that. We preach to him because it shows that our God is jealous. God's jealousy compels him always to act to protect his name and his people. Even if it meant taking on the world's most powerful empire. God may be slow to anger, but Nineveh must not mistake God's patience for powerlessness. He may have stayed his hand, but Nahum warns us of the just anger and jealous avenging God. It also shows a God who cares powerfully about justice. Who can stand before the sovereign creator, just judgment? Who can endure his fierce anger? The answer is obvious, is that no one can. No one can stand against it, because Assyria isn't the one who is invincible and unstoppable. God is. Nineveh showed, should have known that human strength and security and success cannot save an empire. Appearances often prove to be deceiving. If God is determined to defeat evil, he will. He will. Nahum also tells us that there is comfort for the uncomfortable God. 
it helps us appreciate Jesus even more. When we grasp the enormity of Nineveh having the Lord of hosts against his enemies. Like when you read through Nahum and you read what God will do to Nineveh, it is an amazing thing. And that's where we stand without Jesus. We are enemies of God. If you want to have a deeper understanding of what it means to be an enemy of God, read through the Minor Prophets. Because it's very clear. And the question comes out of that is, do you want to be an enemy of God? I don't. And it makes me in awe and wonder of what Jesus has done for me. Because through the blood of Christ, I am no longer an enemy of God, but I am a part of the family of God. If I am an enemy of God, all of these things will come out for me. Something that has blown my mind over the last couple of years as I continue to study more about God's word and, and understanding him is that hell is not the absence of God. Do you see any absence of God in here as he's pouring out his wrath? He is very present. Hell is the presence of God pouring out his wrath. That is incredibly worse. Hell is awful. And when I think about what God has saved me from by his grace, I am in awe and wonder of what he has done for me. How could I not worship and praise and fall on my knees in awe and wonder of the God who has saved me from it? So as I look through this, I have a greater understanding, a greater appreciation for what Jesus has as we grasp the enormity of Nineveh having the Lord of hosts against his enemies, it should deepen our appreciation of all Christ endured when he bore God's wrath for me and for you. What he endured as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ died for our sins and he rose again and he ascended to heaven. If I stand before a holy God, I bear all the consequences of my sin on my own. But if I come to God through Jesus, he bears it all. As the song we were just singing. He takes my place, he takes my punishment so that anyone, no one is too far from God's grace. No one has sinned so much that God can't save you. Anyone who repents of their sin, who turns from it and believes in the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins, will be saved. So as I look through Nam, I have a greater appreciation for what Jesus has done. When I'm brought face to face with the horror of what that means to me, it should make me plead with God to have mercy on those facing his final judgment as well. When I come face to face with the fact that I have family members, I have neighbors, or for those of you here who have co-workers or friends who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they bear the brunt of God's wrath. They need Jesus desperately. And it should push us out. And as I read through Nahum, it reminds me to press on to the end of Jesus' return. Nahum reminds us that the end will come for everyone, but Jesus will win. 
So we mustn't give up. See, that, you know that's, that hopeless situation that you're facing? That sickness, that cancer, death, the loss of a job. Maybe for some of those, that test that you have to write, whatever it may be, whatever that feeling of hopelessness that comes. The kids that seem lost, the grandkids, that mountain that you are looking ahead and it just seems impassable. Is there anything too great for our God, is my response. Is there anything that is outside of his will to accomplish? Is there anything that he has promised that, he, that will not come to pass? And the answer is, he will do all that he promised he will do. He will. And when I read Revelation, the end of the Bible, we win. The word that is proclaimed is for an uncertain time. And he's giving hope to a people that are hopeless. The Lord sovereignly used Assyria as a rod of my anger to punish rebellious Israel. And now he calls Assyria to account. Nineveh may be the most powerful city on earth, but it still answers to the all-powerful and just God. Nineveh falls, brings comfort to the oppressed. Israel and Judah will be free. And as I face the uncertain times in my life, the, the enemies in my life, the, enemy, the, the, the situations that just seem unconquerable, I rest in the sovereign will of God. As John Piper, or not John Piper, as Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is a pillow on which I lay my head. Folks, that quote got me through a lot. If God is not sovereign over everything, then what do I have? I have no hope. There is no hope. The word proclaims the certainty of our God. See, three words come out here in this short verse. Oracle, book, and vision. And when I think of oracle, to be honest, uh, because I grew up watching Hercules and Xena, the warrior princess. (laughs) And I, I have a perverted sense of Greek mythology. I think of oracle as some person in a cave that's really creepy looking, who's trying to give the word of, of, of the gods. That's not what the Bible calls an oracle. An oracle, a few things that we need to think about. An oracle originates from God. We see that in, in Zechariah 9 and, and even back in Malachi chapter 1. They are directed primarily towards specific nations or individuals. Oracles are intended to encourage or correct God's people. Just like we see here, God is saying, look, comfort, seek me, there is comfort. They emphasize the sovereignty of God. And as we look at Nahum, this oracle gives a heavy message of how our sovereign God rules over all and will judge over all. But even more specifically, it also gives a heavy message to Judah concerning its failure to trust the Lord for its own national security. So the question for you and for me is how are you resting in God today? 
Because I look at this book, and as I continue to look it through, I am constantly reminded that God keeps his promises. Constantly. And when I, right now in, in, in my personal reading, I'm in, I'm in uh, Joshua, and over and over and over again, Joshua and God say these same words, do not be afraid, for I am with you. It's a promise. And how do I know, because I'm such a fickle person, how do I know that God will keep his promises? Because he already has. Because as I look at Nahum, a few short years later, another kingdom called Babylon comes and ransacks Nineveh, destroys it. And a few short years later, Assyria is gone. A footnote. Not even to be confirmed through architecture until the 1800s. Completely wiped out outside of the Bible. God will do what he said he will do. Under King Manasseh, Judah had been a loyal vassal state. They had forgotten who is truly in control of their national security. They weren't resting in God. They weren't trusting that he is sovereign. But this book is also a book. And don't overlook this. This isn't a small thing. Because it is a book. The word of God stands forever. You know, and I was reminded of this back in 2 Kings again. There, there was another king uh, that was not too long before this time and named King Josiah. This king, this boy king. And during this period of time, the, the whole kingdom of Judah was completely apostate. They didn't want anything to do with God. Josiah didn't even know anything about who God is. And during a renovation of the temple of God, you know, if you remember the story, they're breaking down a wall, and what do they find? The word of God, the book of the law. And God uses that. The word of God, which had been originally written down by Moses, had survived generations of apostasy, and now was being read to a new generation represented by King Josiah. See, Josiah's reformation of Judah came as a direct result of discovering the very word of God. Only the recovery of the word of God can bring true spiritual reformation. This is true for the individual. This is as true for the individual as it is for the people of God, as it is for society. See, the importance of the Bible as a divinely inspired word of God is important and can't be overstated. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. We need to talk to people about the gospel. And when we do, guess what? It's not our authority. Just as much as I stand up here and it's not my authority... It's God's authority. This is what the word of the Lord says. This is why I say, every time we read the Bible, I say, this is the word of the Lord. It's not mine. It's God's. We fall on that. It is the word of God. It is also a vision. And this is a vision. God is communicating to his people through this prophet. Don't overlook this simple word. 
The point is pretty strong here. The message was revealed to those who were hearing this message by the Lord and was not a human invention or imagination. This is the word of the Lord. In a world of uncertainty, the word of God proclaims the certainty of our God. So what? You know, in Romans 11.22, the Apostle Paul says that we are... to note that kindness and severity of God. God shows kindness to his people and will deliver him. But he shows severe justice towards his enemies. See, no person or nation should presume on God's patience. He waits to judge so that the wicked have time to repent. He sends his messengers to offer grace he asks his people to suffer while his wicked while the wicked decide if they will repent. But eventually he will judge. For he is a just, he is as just as he is kind. Hurting people can count on his justice and his rewarding uh, for his patient perseverance. See, God calls us to repent and to believe in the gospel message. So the question for you and for me today is, what are you resting in today? Because as we enter into this book of Nahum, there is a prophetic message for today that is relevant to the realities we face in the 21st century. God is sovereign over the affairs of the nations, just as much as he is sovereign over the affairs of people. He reigns over all political events, policies, and people in the world. Do you think that there's anything that you read in the newspaper that is a surprise to our God? No. And I cry out, why daily? But where do you find your hope and comfort? How can you express the hope and comfort to those who have not heard? See, at a critical time, Nahum brought a prophetic word from a God against Nineveh to encourage Judah to trust in God alone. Nahum brings a word from God to encourage us to trust in Him alone as a Lord over history. So whatever you're facing today, whatever mountain seems impassable today, I encourage you, I implore you, rest in the sovereign God who is Lord over history. Let us continue to praise and to worship him.
hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Heavenly Father God, as we've heard from your word this morning, in these times of hopelessness, God, where we feel like we can't do anything, and maybe we can't, God, we know that we can rest in you, the God who's above all, who has all authority and sovereignty, God, nothing happens without your knowing, without your seeing, without your control over that, God. God, we can rest on that in these times of hopelessness. And God, may we be unified in that as we come to trust in you through the grace of Jesus Christ, that we can know uh, your grace and your mercy, God, and rest uh, in the fact that you will pour out your wrath and judgment on the sins of this world, God, that we can uh, trust that you will win and we know the end, God, that you will win. So God, may we rest on that as your children. Rest in Christ and the gospel, God. And rest in your sovereignty and your control. As we go from here, may we continue to worship you and be centered on Christ as we grow more and more uh, in knowledge of you, God, uh, in knowing you personally and in our love 